welcome back to the Dr. Body Mind Soul podcast. My name is Dr. Jude, and this is a podcast which explores how we can integrate modern medicine and alternative therapies to help you get the holistic health care that you deserve. I will be speaking to healers and seekers, researchers and authors who will share their experiences and the evidence to help guide us all to holistic health. Let's do this. Dr. Rani Bora is a holistic psychiatrist, mental wealth coach, and the author of How to Turn Stress on Its Head. Her work centers around empowerment, particularly for those who have been labeled with a mental health disorder, using deep prescribing and coaching to support them to thrive beyond their diagnosis. Welcome, Rani. Hi, lovely to be here, Jude. Lovely to be here and lovely to be speaking to you because I'm actually a big fan of your podcast, Mental Wealth. So it's really lovely to turn this relationship on its head and have you here with me to talk about your work on my podcast. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Yeah, and I'm particularly intrigued by your podcast and by the work that you do because you call yourself a holistic psychiatrist and that is a term I honestly had never heard of before and I'm really curious can you share with me and my audience like how you practice this and what tools you use to make your psychiatric work holistic? I think the main distinction let me put it this way is um, if say for example mental health paradigm is What's wrong with you? If that's the main approach, okay, in mental health, program, okay, let's what's, what's wrong with you? So we will be wanting to fix that, that thing. Or say, oh, this is wrong with you, so let's fix that kind of thing. Um, and there is a trauma-based paradigm, which is like what's happened to you. You know, we all, rather than asking what's wrong with you, let's um, look, look at what happened to you. So what's a trauma? And then let's help us. I would say uh, there's a place for both of that. Like, you know, you know, what's wrong in the sense of like, what do you think your challenges are? And also what happened to you? But my paradigm, my approach would be, you know, what's already within you. So that's, that's the paradigm in terms of coaching what's already within you because that I think is what we need to unlock to really see transformation in people and my training has been that people are broken somehow you know we need to fix them as as well-meaning professionals and honestly that was my first insight Jude you know I always thought of myself as interested in this thing called personal recovery and I'm interested in people and I'm doing the best and everyone is doing the best but my the fundamental my belief was that people are broken I need to fix them and what I'm pointing to in my consultations is at a very at a deep level at the core level people are not broken they can't be broken and and so if you ask me this distinction, there's a clear distinction between what I was taught and what life has taught me and what I've uh, begun to see for myself. I think this is just such a lovely distinction of like seeing your clients as not broken and not requiring fixing, seeing them as resourceful, yeah. innately intelligent yeah. beings who are responding in some way to circumstances in their lives to allow them to survive 
but in some way that blocking them from further growth at some stage. Beautiful. Yeah, you, you, you just nailed it. And I think people are lost. Let's put it. Pe- people may be lost and may be lost for a long time, but they're not broken. So that's my mantra. You know, you may be lost for a long, long time because you didn't know anything different. I mean, this is a really revolutionary approach that I've heard from a psychiatrist um, because, you know, as an A&E doctor, I interface with a lot of psychiatric patients. So I really um, am very used to psychiatric presentations appearing and have an understanding of this, of the conventional psychiatric approach, which doesn't often see these patients as whole or resourceful. There is a lot of labeling and systemic judgment, I think, around the presentations um, that that they bring. So this is a really transformational, very empowering, very respectful, very holistic, patient-centered paradigm shift. Yeah. And do you, you know what? Um, there is no blame here. And I guess what really helped me is my own inner work. And, you know, coaching is the only profession where the coaches are meant to be doing their own work. And of course, therapists as well. I know that in therapy, if you're doing therapy for people, then you're also supposed to be having your own therapy, that kind of thing. Doctors or in a healthcare professionals, we are supposed to get supervision. I mean, as a junior doctor, we get supervision, right? But have you noticed that um, the amount of hours you get supervision in proper supervision, not, not not just clinical supervision. I'm talking about, we don't get personal supervision. I mean, we don't get personal coaching or personal mentoring, like what's the goals, what's really happening. It might come out in some conversations. It doesn't come out like, for example, on a weekly basis. And I, and I guess what I'm trying to say here is that one of the things that I'm so grateful for is by um, having this parallel journey of coaching I have been working on myself, like, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, work can be tough sometimes, but who, how I'm showing up at work really matters, who I'm being, you know, at work really matters, and who I'm being really matters, like, what do I know about me? What do I really know about a deeper essence of me and, you know, how I go about life and how I fall for my thinking big time. So if I were not to be reflective that way, I would be reacting, reacting, reacting. And I would be frustrated that people who come to secondary services, for example, don't seem to make much progress. And I'm being very honest here, you know, there we see a lot of chronic ill health. And as an A&E doctor, I'm, I bet you see people in a, like what we call revolving door patients, not a good term, but people keep coming back to the doors again and again and again. And, you know, we can do a quick fix and they go back, but then they come back again. So it's about looking for a long-term solution, not just a quick fix answer about in our own well-being, nurturing ourselves. Mm-hmm. You've talked about this concept of mental, of mental wealth that I really want to kind of get into and really truly understand what you mean by that. Because I think that it's a almost like a total flip of mental illness. So, like, what? How would you describe how the term that you use of mental wealth? I always describe it in different ways. Okay, but mm-hmm. here's what I would say: the answers we are looking for is is not out there. We are all looking for answers. For example, the principle of gravity. We all know that. 
gravity just is you know we don't we, we, we can't see gravity but we can always experience gravity imagine there is really this principle of thought like the principle of gravity where we can't see it but it's all around us you know so we are constantly thinking constantly thinking given this principle now it's great that we you know we keep thinking but when we notice our thinking going round and round and round we also have this power to pause and notice like wow you know i don't need to keep doing that so that's an awareness we all have and then this this really helps us you know you go about life knowing that oh i don't need to take my thoughts seriously why because you know um this seems real but at some point i'll have some fresh thoughts so it's it's very refreshing to know that we don't just because we are feeling stress or you know any any difficult um, emotion at the moment we know that it's not up to us to keep controlling it and trying to let, you know get rid of it naturally if we understand a deeper sense of how the principle of thought works we would just leave it alone and we say okay let me get and go and do that some something else so it's very freeing having a deeper understanding i mean it it shouldn't seem revolutionary for a psychiatrist to understand really deeply the concept of of thought and how to work with 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 thoughts and um, in such a way i just find it really really encouraging and really fascinating and it leads me to sort of question around your experience with using these principles and this approach with people who we see in secondary mental health services who've been diagnosed with thought disorders you know how or can you work with patients or clients that we have traditionally considered to be thought disordered um what's your yeah how, how do you how do you approach that what's your paradigm framework um is it effective is there a point at which this approach no longer is effective or yeah, what's your experience here that's a great question and if anyone is interested to learn more and go deeper i would suggest a, a doctor from the from the us called dr bill pettit he's a psychiatrist i think he's re- recently retired from uh, clinical work but he still sees people and he does lots of program but he has been working with this understanding for a very long time it's called the three principles and um the person who discovered uh, the three principles uh, some, was someone called sydney banks um you know he passed away a few years ago but his you know he he uh, had an insight that um 50 years ago and this is his work basically but uh, going back to your question dr bill pettis has um he has been working with a lot and lot of uh, patients using this approach and he you know some of the the testimonials or the stories he shares is like mind blowing and he has worked with people with psychosis and, and you know what we call thought disorder so here's the thing people are ready when they're ready you know um they get an insight when they get insight sometimes people um really quick very quickly they might be unwell for a long long time but they suddenly see see something from within and they they this and they say oh wow you know um i was caught in my thinking and i have what i've seen is that the little time i have got even in the uh, my nhs work i i point people in this direction i offer them um books to read and um 
some people, you know, not everyone, the people who are open to hearing something different because they're fed up, you know, they're fed up. Like I'm taking all this medication, I'm, you know, had all this therapy, but I'm still having all this, you know, this affected by these traumatic experiences. And I had lots and lots of patients, like, you know, I'm pointing them to something very simple reading and, and saying something with them, but something is shifting for people. And people are themselves articulating that, you know, the problems are still there, but how they are approaching the problem is very different because they have a different understanding. You know, they are not so um, caught up in the thinking all the time, something like that. So I am seeing this amazing shifts that also helps me with my passion, which is de-prescribing, as you know. So um, I think if we just take people off, keep taking people off the medication, it could work, but people took medication for a reason. They took medication for a re- because they could not tolerate their suffering. And the suffering comes from a lot of, you know, difficult thinking and, you know, problems related to the, the psychology, to thought. So if we are, the medications, what they are doing is numbing those emotions and numbing them. And we try to take people off the medication, those problems are still there. So I, you know, this is why my my passion around deprescribing medication and really giving them an education about how the mind works really goes hand in hand because I want people to see something powerful about them, themselves and how perhaps they don't need to keep misusing the power of thought so much. Misusing their thoughts. Yeah. Um, let's talk about deprescribing. Um, you know, it's not, discussed much so many people are put on psychiatric medications and then stay on them for long periods of time and feel afraid to come off them okay so first of all it might not be for everyone the person themselves you know need to be ready okay and why do we need to deprescribe? Well, firstly, if the person feels like, okay, I have been taking this medication for some time, it, it did me some good, but right now I don't think I need it. I want to come off it. Then we really need to be able to support the person. So, so that's one reason. Another reason could be someone has been put on medication, but, um, and they haven't, they have taken it, but they see what, no benefit whatsoever. You know, in fact, maybe the quality of life has worsened as a result of the side effects. Again, I'm not saying that it's a blanket thing that we should be depressing everyone, but at least we need to have a very honest conversation. And this is, again, a very important therapeutic relationship between the doctor and the, and, and the patient. It's like, um, what is the medication doing? Um, and, and, you know, do I really need to take it for the rest of my life uh, kind of thing? And what is it doing? What is it not doing? So there are lots of different things. Most people think that there is a chemical imbalance and this is why they're taking an antidepressant. Uh, and now we know with the latest evidence that there is no such thing as chemical imbalance. It was a myth. It was a theory. It's not been proven. And and the, how we know medications work is they do not cure. And you know no one can claim that all oh, our medications cure mental illness. 
this there might be a very good place for it and um and especially in the acute phase people do find benefit from it but in the long run most people might say well they are and you know it's not helping them anymore so they need to at least have the conversation with um their 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 prescribers but the other thing is the prescriber has to feel really comfortable to do the deprescribing because let's be honest we have not been taught this in our training, we haven't been taught this. And how I learned is by being very open and learning about the challenges that are, you know, the uh, learning about the prescribed harm community. People have been harmed by psychiatric medications. We can't just say, oh, they don't exist. People, you know, there, there are people who have been harmed. So we have to be honest. Some people have been benefit have been benefited have benefited from medication. So we need to honor them. Um, some people have been harmed, we need to honor them and we need to look at, you know, what can we offer? Now, if we are not being trained, so um, and I know of people, doctors, who have tried to take people off the medication, but in a way which is not backed by science, which has led to more withdrawal symptoms and which has led to more, um, you know, relapse happen happening. So I would say that if um, it's important, but we also need to be very aware how to de-prescribe. And if um, anyone has heard the name Dr. Mark Horowitz, I, I think he's a really important, you know, he's a, he's a crucial figure in really uh, bringing into the forefront the concept of hyperbolic tapering, how to taper so that people have the least amount of uh, withdrawal effects. And uh, most of us think that, oh, as we reduce the dose and the dose gets lower, we can just stop it. You know, we can just stop from, I don't know, a five milligram of um, eripiprazole to, or, or citalopram to the, um, to the zero milligram. But that's the step. It's like jumping from a cliff. You know, if we don't understand the hyperbolic curve, that, um, that people would have a severe withdrawal, could have severe withdrawal symptoms if they have been taking it for months or years. We, you know, out of, you know, compassion, we are doing the wrong thing. So I would say just for the sake of uh, deprescribing, we shouldn't deprescribe. We really need to understand the science, the latest science. We need to work with our clients and everyone might not be ready. For some people, it might really trigger some severe visual symptoms. So I'm not just saying that uh, everyone should try to come off medication. It's, it's like it's, everyone is unique and we need to look at it by, by like a person to person basis. And uh, but uh, it starts with a honest conversation, though. I hope this makes sense. So, yeah, it, it starts with an honest conversation around the pros and cons for each individual about whether or not it is time, whether it's not it's something to do. But really what I'm hearing is that there's a there's a. a a careful way to manage the tapering of psychiatric medications to limit the withdrawal side effects that if we don't do well can really have some significant rebound effects so it, it does have to be done in a controlled um, way by an experienced practitioner but also what I love about your work is bringing in a, a greater understanding of thought of how the mind works so that we can actually work with ourselves throughout that time and we can learn about ourselves um, as we're going through this process, which yeah. really um, equips and empowers anyone to move through difficult obstacles and challenges 
within their lives, which is often what's got them a mental health diagnosis in the first place. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I always say it's like making the soil fertile. So before you even think about deprescribing, it's about doing some inner work to really see that because we will, it, it, can, it can be tough. And this understanding can really help that even when someone is going through like withdrawal symptoms, this will pass. And again, it's like not panicking, not saying, okay, is something wrong with me? I must be stupid. None of those, you know, we just like that. Oh, it may, maybe I need to go back to the original, the previous dose. And maybe I need to taper even more uh, slowly. Because one of the problem, Jude, is that uh, most people don't know how to make a distinction between withdrawal symptoms and a relapse. A lot of withdrawal symptoms are considered to be a relapse of the illness and people will um, say, oh, this means, this means that I have to be on a medication for the rest of my life. And a lot of patients tell me that. Um, they, they, they might say like, well, I never thought, I thought the medication was not working for me and I stopped taking them and then I felt worse. So I now know that the medication was doing something. I said, no, all that means is that you have experienced withdrawal symptoms. And as soon as you took the dose again, the withdrawal symptoms went back, you know, you know went away. And so there's a lot of education we need to give people uh, and if anyone is considering, please don't, please never, never, never stop medications uh, because you think, you know, Jude and I am talking about um, coming off the medication. Never, ever, because that's the worst thing I would, you know, wish on anyone to just stop taking medication because I have seen the implications of doing so. But if anyone, say, for example, is taking antidepressant and they would, and they would like some help or guidance, and they don't know what to tell their GP, I would say the Royal College of Psychiatrists has a beautiful, like a really good, um, when I say beautiful, it's a really like most up-to-date knowledge base on how to taper gradually. So I would highly recommend that they do that. And maybe you can put a link um, so that people can access that easily. I will put that link um, because... Yeah, and, and I'm really glad to hear that it's really easily accessible on the Royal College of Psychiatrists website. And I'm curious as to when that was put on. Um, but it's really good that we are now getting um, resources that can support psychiatrists and doctors to manage a withdrawal, manage a, 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 a tapering in a safe, controlled, evidence-based, scientific-backed way, which takes into consideration the um the the curve the hyperbolic curve which relates which which relates to which considers half-life which considers all of the sort of pharmacokinetics of that particular medication so that we can do it in a in a in a in a in a controlled fashion so um that's great to hear that's great to hear and I know that you also um or would you say that the I know that you have a coaching program, which is a year long called Beyond Diagnosis. My understanding, and I'm really curious and I'd love to be filled in, is that that is the time where fertile soil can be um, cultivated. Um, would you say that that is what that program is designed to do? Or can you tell me more about, um, about the program that you've developed? Yes. Yeah, so at the moment, I'm running a year-long uh, program called Beyond Diagnosis. Um, I think I'm going to run it again next year, but I think it can be done in six months because 12 months can be a very long, uh, long 
uh, time for people to commit to. But um, the essence of the program is just to say that um, you are not your diagnosis for people to really get a sense that what I see, Jude, is many people then end up identifying themselves as the disorder. And it, it's not only mental health problems, it's physical health. Oh, I have got ME, I have got, I don't know, um, type 2 diabetes, I have got this chronic health condition, I have got this. And at some point, it becomes, it feels like this is who I am, especially in, with mental health diagnosis. You know, I, I'm bipolar. I'm anorexic. I'm, I'm, you know, um, and what happens is then we have a very limited view of ourselves. We have a very, we are bought into a very limited version of ourselves. So the Beyond Diagnosis program is like really helping people see about mental wealth. So we definitely, you know, it's like having those gentle conversations and to know that we are so much more than our thinking. We are so much more than what life threw at us, all the trauma and the circumstances, and to tap into our innate resilience. Because it feels like, oh, I'm not resilient enough, I'm not good enough. And to say that, no, actually, mental wealth is innate and resilience is also innate. And of course, there's acquired resilience. You know, we can do the lifestyle medicine, we can eat healthy, so we can acquire resilience. But the, the main thing that essence of who we are is already there and it's about tapping into this by exploration of that you know that place so that's that's what um i i what i point people to in the my um, beyond diagnosis program and at the moment i have someone with psychosis at the moment i have someone with bipolar some you know someone with depression someone experiencing withdrawal someone who had a physical health diagnosis so it's a mixed mixed crowd and they are in their own journey. Some people are, I guess that anything, any program is the more we engage, you know, the, the more we give ourselves time and commit, commit to something, we do get to see something deeper for ourselves. So the people who have been committed and who have been willing to listen and not to fixated on the current symptoms or, you know, what's going wrong, they are definitely, something's landing for people. So that's what I would say. That's so interesting that you have such a huge span of of people and diagnoses but also what I love is like that a lot of people with severe mental um health diagnoses are often excluded from well-being coaching programs because they're considered too high risk they're considered um difficult and I don't mean like emotionally difficult but challenging like you specialist you know they need specialist input which is why I think it's so important that we have a psychiatrist who is also able to do this work. Who, you know, you're used to, very used to dealing with people with severe mental health disorders. And so they can be included in this space and really have access to resources that allow them to cultivate um, confidence, um, self-awareness, and not be limited by the diagnoses that they are given. So I love the work that you're doing and I'm so happy to hear that you're doing it. It's so important that these people have spaces that they can be held safely in. Um, so yeah, I'm, 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 very grateful that you've moved into this space. 
Thank you. I mean, in a group, you know, so if someone is like, say, acutely unwell, they might not be suitable, you know, they might need more of a one-to-one care. Uh, but if uh, and when they are feeling a bit more settled, they are definitely not in an acute phase, then certainly this, this kind of group can be really helpful because we know that if someone is acutely unwell, they, there is no, you know, there is no like a, there's almost like a wall and it invisible wall and and so i guess you know uh, that won't be the program won't be suitable for them if they're in the midst of a crisis but once they have gone over the crisis and they're looking at the next phase this is certainly something for them mm, yeah yeah and and that's that's great and i can really understand why a person who's in the midst of crisis can, you know can't really work can't really see beyond yeah. um they're very caught in their thoughts um, yeah, at that point and and not no one can um really operate or get themselves out of any situation when we're totally identified within the situation so and um, that makes sense but also even when it's it's too common i think that even when people are well with those labels they are still excluded so it's really good to have a trained psychiatrist confident at um, managing people with such diagnosis um, in a group setting or as a one-to-one, equipping them with tools that allows them to tap into their true essence and which will equip them for, for the rest of their lives really. Yeah, I, I don't think you need to be qualified as a psychiatrist to do what I do, but I guess my understanding helps, my background helps. But it just so happened you that I happen to be a psychiatrist and I happen to be a coach. Because if I only had psychiatry in my toolkit, I wouldn't have been do, been able to do what I'm doing. You know, so it's because of the other things I have learned. Uh, but very quickly, can I say something about the acute crisis? We are all the same. I want to say this because it feels like there's a them and us. We have been talking about people with a label. It seems like, oh, there are all these people with label and look at us, we don't have any labels, so we're good kind of thing. No, we are all the same. And I want to give a quick example of, you know, I said that if someone is in an acute crisis, they won't be suitable for a program um, because they're very caught up in their thinking. But guess what? You and me, we also get caught up in our thinking. So if, for example, I was really caught up in my thinking and I was really mad at something and someone said, came to me and said, Rani, it's just your thought. You know, I won't take it like, it won't be pleasant. <laughs> I would be very annoyed. I don't want anyone, when I'm in the midst of this thought storm, I don't want anyone to point out that, you know, I'm caught in a thought storm. I really believe it. And, you know, maybe at that time, I really want to believe it. You know, my ego is believing it. So we are all the same. And but what happens is, say, for example, I calm down and then someone comes and say, hey, can we have a conversation? And I say, yeah. And then we can have a conversation about whatever it was. I'm more receptive then. And you can coach me then, but if I'm in an acute phase, you know, and then you're trying to coach me, you know, you, you've caught me the wrong time. So does it make sense? It definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, and I love and I love that you've made that so explicit. I think at the conference we were both attending, the IPM conference that we were both attending, I found it really interesting. With I think it was Professor Lustwig 
um, pointing out that we all hallucinate, you know, we all hallucinate in our dream space. And yet we often find that to be such a major symptom um, within the DSM uh, you know, uh, definition. So I find, I find that that was a real bridge in a way of sort of deconstructing the idea of symptoms and our illness and wellness and just the experience of life and being able to sort of yeah bridge that them and us kind of label and unlabeled groups which um can so often be unhelpful and sometimes be helpful there's no there's, there's always a both and an and I think to these things you know, a label can allow access to help, you know, it, it sort of, it, it sort of gives some sort of framework of understanding, but it also can um, be something to weaponize and to hide behind and to be fearful of. So labels, I think, are tricky mm-hmm. or nuanced. There's a time limit for, you know, what what at the moment seems like, it seems like the label is unlimited but you know, there's a time limit for labels, and um, Dr. Bill Pettit says it really well. He says a, a diagnosis is, an, you know, is where you are, not who you are. So basically, there is a limitation. So labels doesn't mean that oh, um, you know, it has to, you know, it has to be forever. You say there is a it, all it means is we have been lost. We have been lost for a certain period, and when we have been lost for a certain period. And this is the label we fit it in. But once we find ourselves, once we wake up, we make all those healthy changes in the in the, in our in our lifestyle, and then we also have like different ways of thinking and using the power of thought. We are not lost anymore, and the label might just slip away. We don't need to like say, "Oh, I need to hold on to the label because it was given by a doctor." Do you see what I mean? So it can be more fluid, and like you said, we could use a label when the, the time when we need it, and at some point when we realize it doesn't serve us anymore it can also go away because it's not about who we are it's where we are in life I love that distinction I love that distinction I've never been I've never heard of that before um I think it's very freeing and liberating but unfortunately it's not the way it's applied at the moment and I think people feel very stigmatized by a lifetime label um um, of whatever mental health diagnosis that they were given when they were in a crisis point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I hope that this idea, um, this fluidity, this flexibility can emerge m- more strongly within the mental health space. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. And, you know, there might be some skeptics saying that, oh, that might happen for stress and anxiety. You know, that label goes away. What about if someone has got a serious illness like schizophrenia? Guess what? I know of people who had been given diagnosis of schizophrenia and they really fitted the description at that time. But fast forward, not everyone, but some of them I know, they don't fulfill those criteria anymore. So it, it, it doesn't matter what kind of diagnosis, diagnostic label, it can happen and does happen. So I just want people to be open-minded about the possibility that when we really have a shift, an internal shift from within, and we are not like reacting the way we react, we're not getting the same symptoms of ill health, how we show up in life can be very different. And the same with our patients and our clients. 
Mm. And when we show up differently and our outlook and perspective is shifted, um, it is quite incredible how the how life around how life around us reacts to us, and therefore circumstances change and shift. Um, so yeah, it's a very powerful standpoint to really focus on the shifts that we can make within, and um, that's where coaching fits in. So, when do you, when does your next program start, Dr. Rani? Like when when are you taking a new intake for your Beyond Diagnosis program? Well, it starts officially in next March, but you know anyone interested, I would be you know asking people to get in touch because we have got a waiting list. And so the doors haven't opened because we, I'm still running this program. And um, but if people are interested, then you know that's that's next next February. Oh no, sorry, yeah, next March. I think I said. And then starting to you know I, we will be doing pre-program webinars even before the actual actual time it starts. So yeah. And how can people contact? How, how how can people contact you if they are interested in um in joining the program next year or just learning more about it through the webinars how can they find you where where do you post these webinars um just just uh, people can just type my name dr rani bora and i am on linkedin i am on <laughs> facebook not so much on instagram but we also have our uh, website doctors R-A-N-I, Rani, S-U-R-A-J, Suraj.com. Suraj is my husband. He's also a holistic psychiatrist and a coach. So we are, you know, we we, we do this work together. Um, and also, like, it doesn't have to be this program. If anyone hears something, they say, I, I, I want to explore a bit of mental wealth. I just want to explore if coaching is for me. Just get, get, get in touch with me and then we can have a conversation about whether that's useful or not. Because I know the program might not be for everyone, but really understanding how the mind works and really having a you know a transformation an internal shift is fundamental to whatever goals we have in life whatever we want to pursue whether it's a business goal or you know a health goal relationship goal finance goal you name it but the shift has to be from within I love that. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for coming and sharing that um, on today's episode. And for anyone who wants to reach out, I will be putting the links to Dr. Rani's website, um, to the resources she has mentioned today from the Royal College of Psychiatrists, all in the show notes. So check that out. Thank you so much for your time, Rani. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your mental wealth with me today. Thank you, Jude. Really appreciate you inviting me to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening, Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. If you want to connect with trusted alternative therapists, learn more about what they do and how they can help you, check out my new holistic healthcare platform, The Witchy Women. Or if you are a holistic healer that wants to serve and help more people, book in a discovery call with me. Find more details at thewitchywomen.com. To show your support for this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Thank you all so much. Until next time.